If you weren't here last week for our combined adult Bible class where the shepherds shared about the next steps in our Brighter Together journey, I want to encourage you to go to our website and under the members tab on the menu, you can find a video of that, of that recording of what we talked about last week, and it was so incredibly exciting that, Lord willing, early next year or next year sometime, hopefully, we will be breaking ground on an expanded facility here to give us uh, twice as much, more than twice as much seating for worship and more than twice as much youth space, a new space for our counseling. We hope and we pray that these efforts bring so many souls to Jesus and accommodate the work that's going on here. And I want to encourage every single member here to think about and remain committed to what we're doing. And if you haven't made a commitment to Brighter Together, um, maybe this is a good time to think about your financial commitment to that work. Or maybe, maybe you've found that you could do more than you thought you could before, and you're more excited about it, and, and you want to commit that. But we want to remain committed, striving together as one people towards this goal. Because here's Here's what I believe, and I know this is what our shepherds believe, and our ministry staff believes, and I think it's what all of us believe, that the work of the church is the most important work in the world. And I don't just mean the work that goes on in this building. I mean us coming together as a body every week and being filled up with the gospel through songs and Bible study, through fellowship and encouragement, and then going out into the world and loving our neighbor as ourselves in the name of Jesus, we believe that that work locally and globally is the most important work in the world. Amen? And we want to do as much of that work here as we possibly can. Because people in this room and people in this community and people in this world need hope. People need hope. And when I say hope, I don't mean wishful thinking. When I say hope, I mean hope in a biblical sense. Hope, a confident expectation that things will not always be as dark as they are. Confident expectation that good is coming confident expectation that renewal is coming, confident expectation that Jesus is coming. People need hope. People have always needed hope. The way the Gospel of John presents this story is a world of darkness into which Jesus come, comes. Nations slaughtering one another for power and land. Human beings bought and sold like cattle. Political opponents executed. Women and children neglected, mistreated, and abused. Earthquakes, diseases, droughts, famines, fires, floods, and people asking where is God. Where is God? And the story of the gospel is the answer to that question. 
Not only the question that the people in the first century were asking, where is our God? But it is the answer to the question that people in our world are still asking. Maybe the question that you are asking, where is God? And the answer is that through Jesus, God is taking control of the world. Here's how I might summarize the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is about God's Word, God's full self-revelation becoming human in order to destroy the work of Satan and take control of the world so that through him, through Jesus, God can reign, God's kingdom, God can reign over all things and make all things new. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that through Jesus, God is taking control of the world. That through Jesus, God is destroying the works of darkness. That through Jesus, God is destroying the work of Satan. But Jesus doesn't do it in the way that some people thought the Messiah might do that kind of thing. Jesus doesn't come and fight fire with fire. He doesn't come and, and fight and, and take control by force. Instead, he takes control by self-giving love. He takes control through faithfulness. He marches into the darkness and takes control and kicks out who he calls the ruler of this world by giving himself as an atoning sacrifice. He takes control and destroys the work of Satan through truth and grace and love. And, and we believe Christians believe that Jesus' act of self-giving love is healing the world, don't we? Beginning with us, beginning with us, he's healing us and making us a new creation, making us new creatures to go out into the world and live as new human beings, a new kind of humanity. And we believe that that renewal will spread and we believe that God is making all things new through Jesus. And we believe that the prayer that we talked about for the last three weeks, when Jesus said he's consecrating himself, he's sanctifying himself for this work, and he's praying for the sanctification of his people, his disciples, to go out into the world and to do this work. Where is God in the midst of the darkness? God is bringing the light. So when we read about Jesus' arrest, and that's what we're going to read about this morning, John 18 and verse 1. So if you got your Bible, John 18 and verse 1. When we read about Jesus' arrest, and then next week we'll talk about his trial, and then the week after that, his crucifixion, we, we need to understand that this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is on a mission. If you read a story about the unlawful arrest of someone, I mean, there, there has been no worse injustice that has ever been carried out than the Son of God being arrested and spit on and beaten and mocked and nailed to a cross. There has been no worse injustice that has ever been carried out than that. But Jesus went to it willingly. 
Jesus marched into it. Jesus came into the world for that purpose, that through that act of faithfulness and self-giving love, he was destroying the work of Satan. I've been thinking about that all week. What, what, if, what, if, like, what if there was a button that you could push? And what if there was a button that you could push, that the right person could push, and you knew that it would set in motion a chain of events that would destroy all evil in the world? Would you push it? Absolutely you'd push it, right? You'd march in there and you'd hammer that button and, I mean, you'd, do, you'd take down evil. Do you have to not only be the right person, but in order to push that button, you've got to give yourself everything. And Jesus was the only one who could destroy the works of Satan. And he went in, and though it cost everything, he did it willingly. He did it boldly. He did it courageously. And especially the way John presents this story, we see Jesus not as a victim, not one second as a victim, but every moment of victor. Jesus is calling the shots, even when he's being arrested and beaten and crucified. Look at John 18 and verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now, if you were to take your, maybe the search feature on your Bible app, I would say a concordance, but that's not what we do anymore. But, you know, you hit that little search feature and you were to type in the word Kidron, the first occurrence that you find in Scripture is another time when a king is crossing the brook Kidron. In fact, maybe our young people, as they're studying 2 Samuel, have, have read about this. Who was it? It's David, after his son Absalom takes the throne and David is run out of town. He's a rejected king, and he crosses the brook Kidron. But eventually, God would take down Absalom and reinstate David as, as king. Do you suppose John is trying to, to bring that to our attention? Help us to see that like David... Like David was in that moment, Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. But in spite of the fact that his own received him not, God would make sure that Jesus reigns as king. Verse 2, now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, I mean, just stop for a second. The chief priests and the Pharisees and Judas, one of Jesus' own disciples, got a bunch of soldiers with swords and weapons and armor to come out and arrest Jesus. For what? For what? What had he done wrong? Heal people? Preach truth? Love people? And for that, they came with their swords, with lanterns and torches and weapons. And John, throughout this gospel account, has made us aware of the fact that these people are in league with Satan. John chapter 13, verse 27, it says that Satan entered Judas. 
In John 8 and verse 44, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. These soldiers and these men that are coming to arrest Jesus and to put him in chains and eventually nail him to a cross, they are in league with the forces of darkness. But make no mistake, Jesus knows his fight isn't with them. He doesn't hate them. He's not angry at them. He has no desire to hurt them. He realizes that they are pawns in their father's game. They are pawns of Satan. Even though they're in league with him, he has no desire to hurt them or fight them. There's something much bigger going on here. And in a lot of ways, they are unwitting participants. Look at verse 4. Then Jesus, what's that next word? knowing, knowing all that would happen to him. John wants us to understand, Jesus knows exactly what's going on here. In fact, Jesus is the only one who knows what's going on here. Jesus is the only one with really eyes to see what's happening here. And Jesus knows not only what is happening, but what will happen He knows exactly how that crown of thorns will feel. He knows exactly how that whip across his back will feel. He knows exactly what it will be like to be spit on and mocked. And he knows exactly what those nails driven through his hands and feet will feel like. He knows exactly what it will feel like to suffocate and die and bleed out on the cross. He knows exactly what's about to happen. And it says, knowing all that would happen to him, he came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? He's not cowering over in the corner. As I was thinking about King David and about David marching down into the valley of Elah, that's the first time we met David, right? He goes down and he's ready to slay Goliath. But do you remember when we first met the person with whom David is contrasted in First and Second Samuel? King Saul. You remember Saul? The first time we really meet Saul when, when he's about to become king, what's he doing? You remember? He's hiding in the baggage, right? I mean, he's, he's hiding. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen, and he's not hiding. When the soldiers show up and Judas shows up, he steps up and he says, okay, who are you looking for? Whom do you seek? Knowing exactly what's about to transpire. Verse 5, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am. Now, most of our translations translate it, I am he. But in the Greek, it's just, I am. (laughs) Do you think that goes along with Jesus' I am statements throughout the Gospel of John? Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus steps up and says, I am. I am. The I am. He is God in the flesh. He is the word of God. He is the full self-revelation of God. If you want to know who God is, look no further than Jesus of Nazareth. And when, when it's time for him to become king, when it's time for him to give himself as a sacrifice for his people, when it's time for him to be lifted up on the cross, he steps up and says, I am. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am, or I am he, look at that. They drew back and fell to the ground. 
There's like no other explanation there. John just tells us that's what happened. They fell down. Why didn't the world just happen? Jesus steps up and says, I am. And all of a sudden, all the soldiers who came to arrest him, they take a step back and they fall to the ground. They involuntarily bowed before him. And pretty soon, they would unknowingly lift him up and draw the whole world to himself. They they don't realize what's happening here, but they are unknowingly leading Jesus to his throne. They think they're, they're leading Jesus to the pit to get rid of him, but they're actually leading him to his throne. This is the beginning of his coronation ceremony, and he's about to be lifted up and draw the whole world to himself. And just like in the end, no matter what a person is doing now or what a person thinks or what a person's opinion of Jesus or Christianity or religion is, we believe that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, voluntarily or involuntarily. And that's exactly, I think, what John is helping us to see. Whether you want this to happen or not, Jesus will be king. Jesus will be lifted up. Jesus will destroy the works of Satan. Jesus, his will, will be accomplished. He will do the Father's will. Look at verse 7. So he asked them again, or he asked them again, whom do you seek? Because they all all fell down on the ground. And they said, and I I mean, it's hard to know what somebody sounded like when you're just reading the words, but I imagine it was like Jesus of Nazareth, right? I mean, the last time they said that and he said who he was, they all fell on the ground. Something knocked him down. And so now they say again, I'm sure, with trembling voices, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Who's in charge here? I mean, on the surface, it's like these guys, a whole band of soldiers are coming with torches and swords and armor and weapons, and they're coming to arrest this man who's unarmed, and he's there in the garden praying with his disciples, and they come and they show up to take him to trial in the middle of the night so that there were no crowds around so they could do whatever they wanted to and they come to arrest him but who's really in charge? Jesus is. And he makes it really clear. And now he's making demands. You're not going to arrest these men. You're going to arrest me. That's fine. That's exactly what's about to happen. That's what I want to happen. That's what I'm giving myself to. But you're not going to arrest these men. And so Jesus, John wants us to know over and over again, Jesus is in charge. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? This battle, and make no mistake, it is a battle. It is the battle. It's the battle that puts every other battle that has ever been fought to shame. Every other battle simply points forward to this battle. 
Every other battle, every other war, every other conflict is but a symptom of the battle that Jesus is winning and fighting right here. But it will not be won through violence. It will not be won by force. It will not be won by fighting fire with fire. The only way it will be won is if the Lamb of God steps up and takes the cup, the cup that people have been adding to with their sins since the beginning of time. The cup that slowly sin after sin after sin has been dripping into. The cup that God has every right to pour out upon the people and to force the people to drink of the cup of suffering and wrath. But instead, the full self-revelation of God steps up in humanity's place and says the only way this battle will be won is if I drink the cup that the Father has given to me. Put your sword away. That's not how this battle will be won. Do you, do you see his confidence? His calmness? His determination? This is what is going to happen, Peter. It's not because we don't have enough swords to keep it from happening. It's not because I can't call 10,000 angels. It's not because it's just happening to me. It's not because I'm a victim. This is what's supposed to happen. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm giving my life, and I'm setting you free, and I'm tearing down the walls and the forces and the armies of darkness. I'm recreating all things and making all things new, and this is what has to happen. So... Maybe a couple applications. Next slide. Let's think about these two applications of, of the way Jesus approaches this situation. First, let the calm assurance and determination of Jesus fill you with hope. You have a Malchus, don't you? Malchus, the servant who had his ear chopped off, you, you have something like that in your life. You have a force of darkness, a person, a situation, a condition that is plaguing you and attacking you. And, and maybe, like Peter, you think in order to defeat that Malchus, you've got to pull out your sword and fight it. And maybe... You feel exactly like Peter did in that moment. Terrified. Don't you know Peter was terrified? Don't you know he was angry? And saying this isn't fair and it shouldn't go down like this? And who do you people think you are? And he thought by pulling out his sword and chopping off, I'm sure he wasn't trying to chop off an ear. I'm sure he wanted to chop off more than that. But he thought he could defeat his Malchus with a sword. But when you fully embrace the hope that comes through Jesus, you can do exactly what Jesus said to Peter. Put your sword away. Put your sword away. There are people in your life that are in league with Satan. And they're not alone because you and I have spent a lot of our life in league with Satan, haven't we? But instead of facing 
flesh and blood with the weapons of this world. Because of the calm assurance and determination of Jesus, because we believe that Jesus has already and is and will defeat all of the forces of darkness, because we believe that with every fiber of our being, we can put our sword in its sheath. (laughs) And we can face every situation with hope. And even if we have a malchus in our life, we don't have to be angry or bitter or hateful, or resentful. Because we embrace the victory that was won by Jesus, we can have the same sort of calm assurance and determination. You see, this is the only way we can love our enemies. It's the only way we can pray for those who persecute us. It's the only way we can turn the other cheek. It's the only way we can go the extra mile. It's the only way we can love as we have been loved. It's the only way, is if we let the calm assurance and determination of Jesus fill us with hope, confident expectation about what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. Secondly, share the hope of the good news with others. People need hope, church. Everyone is facing a malchus. Everyone is fighting a battle with the forces of darkness. Everyone has a person or a condition or a situation that they're dealing with right now, and they need the hope that we have. That's our job. Not not like our job, like y'all ought to feel guilty if you haven't shared the good news with somebody. No, not job like that. Not job like I feel compelled to. I don't want to share the good news with people, but I guess I ought to. Why would we not want to? A battle has been waged and a battle has been won and it set in motion the destruction of all evil and all darkness in the world. It's happened, it is happening, and it will happen and we're filled with that hope. Why would we not share that with people? Why would we not tell people, Jesus fought this battle for you. Jesus won. And if you embrace this good news, If you give your allegiance and your trust and put your faith in Jesus, you can put your sword in its sheath. And you can face every circumstance without hate or bitterness or fear, anger or hatred. And you can be filled with hope. So here's our moment of truth question. Are you fully embracing the hope of the good news? that Jesus' act of self-giving love is healing the world, beginning with us and spreading so that eventually Jesus will bring all things under God's rule and make a new creation in which righteousness dwells. Do we believe that? That Jesus was so calm and so determined to give his life because he knew That's the way the victory is going to be won. And slavery and war and famine and hunger and poverty would all be taken away 
through his act of self-giving love, that he would destroy the work of Satan by what he was allowing to happen. If we believe that and we embrace that, it fills us with hope. And then, not just us, but then we go into the world and we share that hope with a broken world who are all fighting their battles with darkness. And we... We get to be the one. Don't you like being the one to share good news with somebody, right? Or you hear good news and somebody's got to go tell them that they got a million dollars coming. I want to be the one to share that kind of, nobody wants to share bad news, but we all like to share good news with people, don't we? This is it. Jesus gave himself to defeat Satan that he might be lifted up as king of the world. And it's happened, and it is happening, and it will happen, and we've embraced it, and now we get to be the ones to share that good news with others. That's why I say that the work of the church is the most important work that's going on in the world. Sending us, the church, you are the church, into the world to share this hope with others. But maybe there's somebody, and I'm sure there is, In a group this size, I'm sure there's somebody here this morning and you haven't fully embraced the hope of the good news. You've you've thought about being baptized into Jesus, being clothed with him and putting your trust in him and giving your allegiance to him, putting your faith in him. You've thought about being baptized and you just haven't made that step yet. But I want you to picture in your mind Jesus stepping up and walking forward knowing what was about to happen to him. He did that so that you could live. And when you take that step towards the water and you're clothed with him, you're just embracing his determination and calm assurance in giving himself for you. So take that step toward him and embrace the hope that he has to offer Or maybe you just need prayers because maybe, and I'm sure it's true for many people this morning, with all the darkness that you've been dealing with, all the Malchuses you've been fighting, you're feeling rather hopeless and you need the hope that only Jesus can give. Let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. Go visit with our shepherds after service or right now. Come forward as we stand and sing.